Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land where people travel faster than a speeding bullet. Oh, goodness. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about the Shinkansen, commonly referred to in English as the bullet train. Basically, what it is, is a network of these high-speed rail lines. This network stretches all across Japan, and you can get almost anywhere really, really fast. It's one of those things that makes tourism in Japan so great, because you can see a ton of stuff in different places that are far apart without spending a ridiculous amount of time in transit between those places. Yep was originally developed to connect some uh, far-off places with Tokyo, the capital. But nowadays, it's even used as a commuter rail. You know, people might go two stops as their travel for work every day. Mm -hmm. It probably saves them 30 minutes, you know? Yeah, it's super fast. Paul, would you like to uh, know about the etymology of the word Shinkansen? Uh, Yes, I would. The word Shinkansen translates directly to new trunk line or new main line, but the word can be used to refer to either the train lines or the trains themselves. Okay. Knowing the history, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that English term bullet train is actually a direct translation of Dangan Resha, which is the original name that the project was given in its very earliest planning stages. Mm. So we're kind of using an outdated term. But frankly, bullet train sounds a lot cooler in English than main trunk line, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. We've mentioned the speed, but there's a lot to like about Shinkansen. Definitely. They're known for their punctuality, comfort, safety, efficiency. There's not a lot that isn't going well on the Shinkansen. They're just excellent trains. It explains why there are a lot of train nerds in Japan, you know? Yeah. Train otaku. Yeah, these trains are just cool. Yeah. And so we talked about the Shinkansen briefly in episode six, the transportation episode. But today we're going to go into much more depth on these trains. And you're going to learn some cool stuff, I bet. Paul, you want to talk about some quick fun facts? Absolutely. My favorite one is that in the over 50 years since these bullet trains started running, there's not been a single fatality or injury on board due to train accidents. That's incredible. It is. Absolutely incredible. Just to give a scope of like how used these trains are, how busy these trains are, in one one-year period ending in March 2017, they carried 159 million passengers. <laughs> and since the opening over five decades ago, it's transported 5.6 billion total passengers, including us. Yeah. You know, I think it's safe to say that the Shinkansen is one of humanity's greatest engineering feats. Yeah, you could totally say that. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it more. The punctuality and the safety and just, they're just incredible. I don't know. Yeah. They're just crazy. The Takedo line carries up to 16 trains per hour in each direction during its busiest times. Wow. That's like a train every few minutes. That's crazy. It is. That level of like efficiency and being on time every day. Also, it saves a lot of carbon dioxide. Yeah. Traveling by train versus if everyone drove in a car. So inefficient. Saves a ridiculous amount of pollution every year. Yeah. Here's another fact for you related to time saving. People taking the Shinkansen versus if they would take conventional rail networks has saved an estimated 400 million hours for people. So the economic and social benefit of saving all that time for people is massive. That's entire lifetimes. So many lifetimes Mm -hmm. have been saved from just wasting your time on slower trains. Let's talk a little bit about the history of the Shinkansen. Yeah. Japan was actually the first country to build dedicated rail lines for high-speed travel. That's true. 
And, you know, there were, of course, train systems in Japan before the Shinkansen, but they were slow. They took windy, indirect routes, and they used narrow gauge lines. So there was basically a speed cap. Like, they couldn't get any faster on those narrow gauge lines without starting from scratch. Yep. So in the 1930s, that was when the first proposals were made to develop a really fast train. This is when that Dangan Resha term was being used. And the term Shinkansen was first formally used in 1940. And soon they were talking about really ambitious plans, like their first plans. Did you hear about this stuff? They wanted to connect their Japanese lines to Beijing and Singapore and the Trans-Siberian Railway in Russia. Back in the empire days, they wanted to spread it, yeah. And especially talking about that in the 1940s, like <laughs> that would have been a crazy mega project. Yeah. Can you imagine if you could get on a train in Tokyo and then step off the train in Moscow? That's where the Trans-Siberian Railway ends. That's nuts. Yeah. Anyway, those plans obviously didn't work out. They were abandoned in 1943 due to, you know, that big war that happened. Remember that? Yeah, I think I've heard of that. Yeah. It's pretty big, apparently. So after the big war, Japan's economy boomed. People were still using those old slow trains until those trains just couldn't cut it anymore. They just weren't keeping up with, you know, what people had to do. So the Ministry of Railways decided to take another look at that high-speed train thingy that they'd been talking about earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. So in 1957, the Odakyu Electric Railway introduced the 3000 series SE Romancicar train. I don't know if I'm saying that right at all. Romance car. It's just romance plus car. Okay. I didn't realize that was English. I'm looking at that (laughs) thinking it's some uh, French or something. Like, oh, that's English. Okay. Yeah. Good job, Paul. I'm sure Jason's going to leave this in. <laughs> but anyways, this was on the narrow gauge line, but they got these cars going up to 90 miles per hour. And this is credited with inspiring and motivating people to be like, you know what? If we made a wider track, we can go way faster than that. Mm. This is doable. This is possible, guys. And it really like pushed the project forward. Yeah. Uh, to go back to that romance car name for a second, I looked that up because I thought that was an interesting name. And uh, the reason it was named that was actually because it had what they called romance seats, these two-person seats that didn't have an armrest in the middle to ah, separate okay. them. So basically okay. what we call in English a love seat. Okay. You know? Okay. Love seat, romance seat, romance car. Like the school bus. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like thinking about school bus seats as romance or love seats. That's, that's what I think about like uh, a bench with nothing in between. Way to make it weird. They're, they're buddy seats. <laughs> they're buddy seats on the sure, school bus. Sure. Hey, in my defense, if it's a romance car, why is it one word? If it was two words, I would have figured it out. You know, Japan loves squishing words together. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So yeah, the romance car, you said narrow gauge trains, it kind of gave designers confidence to build the faster standard gauge trains, which led to the Shinkansen, right? Yes. So the next year, in 1958, the government approved the plans for the Tokaido Shinkansen, and construction began on the first section between Tokyo and Osaka in 1959. The cost was first estimated at almost 200 billion yen, but... Apparently, the people that made that estimate intentionally downplayed the cost because they just wanted to make it. The actual cost ended up being around twice that, 400 billion yen. Not surprised at all. I swear, like every infrastructure project I've ever seen, especially on like this scale, goes way over budget. They always underestimate this stuff. Yeah. They were like building some high-speed rail in um, California right now, which is badly needed, but they just had to change it. They call it the train to nowhere now because it was supposed to go from LA to San Fran 
and the budget just went way over and now it just stops in some like city I'd never heard of like an hour or two out of San Francisco. Hmm. So it's like all the train to nowhere. Fun. It'll eventually get to San Francisco. <laughs> Someday. Someday. When they come up with another uh, trillion dollars or whatever. Yeah. So speaking of this purposeful deceit, there were consequences. The budget shortfall became clear by 1963. So Shinji Sogo, the president of Japan National Railways, resigned to take responsibility. It's always got to be a fall, man. Could you imagine someone actually doing that today? Could you imagine Mark Zuckerberg being like, we've messed up so many times with people's privacy and data. I'm going to resign and take responsibility. That doesn't happen in the U.S. That's totally a Japan thing. You know? I've seen... A lot of uh, people that like live in Japan, foreigners, I should say, that live in Japan, they always like have a joke where like, oh, he made a deep bow. It's okay. <laughs> like yeah. you can do anything. And as long as you have a press conference and bow deeply, like the Japanese public will forgive you. Mm. Like, oh, he, he bowed deeply. He's sorry. He humbled himself. It's okay. Yeah. Those public apologies are a big deal. Yeah. Hey, I'm not... Not trying to judge. Like we said, no one, no one in America would ever even think about resigning. So. Hey, public apologies, resignations, that's better than just, you know, big corporations acting with impunity. Like, yeah, yeah we rule you. We're your overlords, and you can't do anything about it. So. Yeah, you know, here, here we've got Trump. Like, I don't, know, he, I don't think he's taking responsibility for anything in his life. Sorry, he doesn't even know what the word sorry means. <laughs> so, yeah, can't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, what happened after that? So on October 1st, 1964, the Tokaido Shinkansen began service just in time for the first Tokyo Olympics. And these first trains ran at 210 kilometers per hour, which is 130 miles per hour for our fellow Americans. And uh, that was actually later increased to 220 kilometers per hour or 137 miles per hour. So not as fast as they are now, but still pretty fast. Pretty fast, especially not stopping. Mm-hmm. Like they don't cross roads. Like they don't have to stop and wait for other traffic. Right. To compare it to the trains that were around before that, it used to take six hours and 40 minutes to get from Tokyo to Osaka. But with the Shinkansen, it was only four hours. And then by 1965, they had shortened the trip to three hours and 10 minutes. So less than half the time of those original trains. That's crazy. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Also incredible to me is that some of those original trains from the 60s weren't even retired until the end of 2008. Yeah. That's some solid engineering to have trains running that long. Forever, dude. In train time, that's forever. Yeah. (laughs) Just imagine. I mean, they were running like nonstop. It was those original Zero Series trains, I think, that gave the nickname Bullet Train. Because the front of them, the way they're shaped, they just look like a bullet. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, cutting it down to just over three hours, it basically made the trip between Tokyo and Osaka a day trip. Like, you could travel in the morning, like, prep for your meeting, do your business meeting or whatever, or visit family for a few hours, and then head back and make it home before it was too late. Yep. Couldn't do that when it's a six-hour, 40-minute ride. So it changed the lifestyle of business and personal life in Japan, and it kind of like created its own demand. Like You don't know what the demand's going to be for a three-hour trip between those cities until there's actually a three-hour trip between those cities, yeah. and the ridership just kept skyrocketing. Yeah, I mean, just all of a sudden, you have access to this other metropolis that you know would have taken so much longer before. Now it's like, well... I can go, so why not? Yeah, it was immediately successful. Yeah. So that success prompted rapid expansion of the train network. By 1975, it had connected Okayama, Hiroshima, and Fukuoka to Tokyo as well. And then they also built the Tohoku Shinkansen, which stretched up to the northern tip of Honshu, the Joetsu Shinkansen connected Saitama, Gunma, and Niigata prefectures. Like, 
within like 10 years, you could pretty much get anywhere in the country all of a sudden. Just imagine how much that would change everything yeah. about society, you know, to right. be able to just move around so fast. Yeah, they had a bunch of other lines planned as well, but uh, JNR, Japanese National Railway, started sliding deeper and deeper into debt, financing these projects, especially as they were going to more rural places. It wasn't as immediately economically benefit for the company, so it made it uh, more difficult for them. Yeah, so by the early 80s, Japanese National Railways was basically insolvent. So in 1987, it was privatized, and now all of those different Shinkansen lines are run by the Japan Railways Group, commonly known as the JR Group, which we have mentioned many, many, many times on the podcast. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting that you have that note in there that like, oh, the company went insolvent and they had to privatize it. But the Shinkansen are also incredibly popular and a huge success. I feel like it's one of those things where it's like the government just needs to invest in it because it's going to pay off for the whole country. But for that one company that had to like pay everything, it didn't necessarily make sense for everything. Are you understanding my point? Am I making sense? Not 100%. So what I'm trying to say is the Shinkansen was totally worth it. But putting all of the cost and debt of it onto the national railways was probably not the way it should have been done. Okay. It should have been subsidized in some other way by the national government, even though the government did own that railway. Mm -hmm. But they should have helped them out. I guess their solution was privatizing it, which is another solution that worked, I guess. Yeah. So they're still building Shinkansen, these private companies. Right. Still building new lines. Right. And so this JR Group is... uh Basically, there are seven regional companies that make up that JR group, and each of those companies has the same JR logo you've probably seen if you've been to Japan. They just use different colors for the different regions, so it's it's a super recognizable logo. Yeah, now as private companies, they have more freedom to cut projects that are unprofitable or spin them off somehow into different companies or all the all the tricks that companies can use to keep themselves afloat. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the post-80s bubble era in Japan, there's been basically like 0% loans going out from the banks for decades now. So it makes it way easier to invest in infrastructure when you're basically paying no interest on all the money you can borrow, it makes it a lot easier to do massive projects like this. Yeah. So that's paid off for them. Yeah. So with all these new trains and new lines that they're making, basically at this point you can get almost anywhere on Honshu. You can get to Kyushu. You can even get to Hokkaido, that big island way up north. Yep. I had to take a non-Shinkansen train to get there. I took an overnight train. Uh, but now, now you can do it on a Shinkansen and get there much faster. Doesn't go all the way to Sapporo yet, right? Right. I believe it stops at Hakodate currently. Okay, so but, it gets you to just... Uh, yeah, like the very Hokkaido. southern part of Hokkaido. But, but that's still great. Yeah, and they're, they're still working on getting to Sapporo. That, yeah, it'll I forget happen. forget what year that's going to happen. but It's a while yet. Yeah. So now... They have trains that go up to 320 kilometers per hour, which is 200 miles per hour. That's fast. It is. And they're working on going even faster using maglev trains, which are magnetic levitation trains. So they take out the friction factor. The trains are literally floating above the tracks. And uh, in 2015, I saw that they tested a new L0 series train that set a world speed record of 603 kilometers per hour or 375 miles per hour. That's crazy. It's totally crazy. I remember seeing videos a few years back of them testing a maglev train, and it was over 500 kilometers per hour. And there were like train nerds there taking videos and stuff. And the video's crazy. The train's just like, boom, it's there, boom, it's gone. It moves so fast, it's like you've never seen something that close to you move that fast. Yeah. I don't even know how to describe it. I want to know what it looks like 
looking out of that train from the inside, you know, just yeah. seeing the, the countryside fly by. Yeah, it goes fast enough on the normal Shinkansen. Yeah. And we're talking like over, we're talking almost twice the speed. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, I remember being on the Shinkansen. You have to like look into the distance. If you try to look too close, it's just going by too fast. Your eyes can't focus on anything. Mm-hmm. You kind of be missing out a little bit on all the nice scenery maybe. It might be you're, too fast. <laughs> you'd have to look way out in the distance. You know, the stuff further away doesn't look like it's moving that fast. Yeah, you could like look at the mountains and the ocean and stuff. They're big enough. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit about the technology involved. We won't uh, train nerd too hard about this, but yeah. there's some really cool stuff. Yeah, we're not going to get super technical, but... Man, there is some cool technology that goes into these trains. So one essential thing that Paul sort of mentioned for a moment before was that uh, the Shinkansen lines are completely separate from the conventional rail lines, and they don't even cross them. Right. You know, these trains are going so much faster. Of course, they can't share the same tracks. And to avoid crossing any other tracks, they either go above or below other types of train lines. And the trains are also going so fast that they really can't make quick turns. These are not agile trains. So they basically need to go in as straight of a line as possible. So there are a lot of tunnels and bridges that allow them to go over or through obstacles instead of around them. Yep. They also use extra long rails that are joined by expansion joints to minimize fluctuation and thermal shrinkage or elongation. So it just helps keep a smoother ride while you're going that fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, we mentioned narrow gauge rails before, but we didn't really explain what that means. So basically the gauge is referring to the width of the rails, like not, not the actual metal rails themselves, but the distance between them. Yeah, yeah. Shinkansen are thick trains. Right. So, you know, if you've seen train tracks, you got those two metal rails on either side. Shinkansen is just going to have rails that are further apart. The gauge refers to the width between the inner sides of the rails, technically. Interesting. Yep. And uh, so that wider gauge allows for higher speed, higher capacity, so they can make bigger, better trains. Yep. It's that simple. Yep. Uh, there's also something called ATC, Automatic Train Control. Yeah. I thought this was pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It really is. So these trains are moving so fast that, you know, even though they have drivers up front, the drivers can't see signs that are like posted next to the rails. They're just moving too fast. So instead what happens is that signals are sent to the train with info about the speed limit on like a certain section of the track. And then the train automatically compares its speed to the signals that it's receiving and automatically applies the brakes if it's moving too fast. Yeah. All tasks related to train movement and schedule are computerized and managed by central operations. Right. All these trains around the country are networked. So they always know exactly where every train is around the country. There's also a system that we mentioned in our earthquakes episode. They have a, a system where they can detect earthquakes before they happen, and then it immediately brings the train to a stop to make sure it doesn't derail. Yep. The second they sense an earthquake beginning, they'll slow down and stop all Shinkansen in the affected area. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. Paul, did you read much about how the trains are powered? I did, and it's fascinating. Yeah, I I spent a bit of time. So you think train, there's an engine at the front, right? You might think that. Not on a Shinkansen. Every single car is electrically powered. So that's how they can speed up and slow down so fast, because every single car is speeding up and slowing down on the train. So I couldn't find any details specifically. I saw that the very first Shinkansen did have power going to every axle on every car, but I got the impression that more recent ones might not 
have power to every single axle. Did you see any details about that? No. Okay. But at least, you know, several or many of the cars have power, if not every single one. Yeah. I'm confident saying that. Yeah. So, you know, to get all this power, does the train just have massive batteries? It's electrified. Yeah. And you might have heard of the third rail before. Don't pee on the third rail. Is that something they say? <laughs> That's good advice. I think Mythbusters did an episode about that. Yeah, you and have they, to pee really, really hard, and then you might get electrocuted. I thought you needed to be like super close to yeah. it because if you pee from a distance, your pee actually like it starts separating. Yeah, it forms these little tiny droplets instead of said a very stream. thick stream. Yeah. Anyway, that's <laughs> not important. Yeah, don't risk it. <laughs> So, you know, a lot of like subway trains in New York and stuff, I think, use a third rail. So they're like the two rails that the train is sitting on, and then there's a third rail where it's getting the electricity from. But a third rail like that can only deliver up to 1,500 volts. And how many volts does the Shinkansen need? I don't know. 25,000 volts. Oh, that's all? The third rail is not going to do it. No. So instead, the Shinkansen uses an overhead power supply. So there's a device on top of the train called a pantograph. And then there's an electrified line, just a, you know, a wire basically, that runs above the Shinkansen track. And the pantograph sticks up and touches that overhead line. And that's where it gets all the power the train needs through just a few square centimeters of contact with that line. That's crazy. Yeah. Super crazy. One really cool thing I never thought about is that all the coaches are air sealed to ensure stable air pressure because they enter tunnels at such a high speed. It's just like blasting the air in that tunnel. Yeah. They're, they have to be sealed like airplanes. Yeah. And inside you never even realize it because it's just so normal like no there's no change yeah and uh there's actually something called tunnel boom did yep. you read about that i did so this is one of the big obstacles that they face when they're trying to make faster trains because when a train enters a tunnel at high speed the air in front of the train is being compressed and it has nowhere to go except the other end of the tunnel so when it gets there there's this big shock wave that creates a loud boom that uh, can disturb nearby residents and stuff. Yeah. So I saw that uh, they have different ways that they're working on to minimize that tunnel boom, including creating more aerodynamic trains, adding hoods to tunnel entrances. Interesting. Not sure exactly what the hoods do. Maybe they, I don't know. I, I couldn't really figure out what the hood they make it do. the only thing I can think of is they make it less of a you're out of the tunnel, you're in the oh, tunnel. It's, it's kind of like sudden. a slower transition, maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, they can also install perforated walls at tunnel exits or drill vent holes in the tunnel so that the air has somewhere to oh, escape. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, yeah. that would work. And uh, that drilling vent holes kind of thing is the same general principle behind silencers on guns gives a new meaning to the term bullet train you know oh. like so in a silencer and a gun basically that silencer is giving the gas more space to expand so it's not just flying out you know the front of the barrel all at once okay paul Got a question for you. Okay. Would you say that the Shinkansen is punctual and reliable? 100%. We mentioned it before. 50 plus year history. Zero fatalities of anyone on board the trains related to train incidents. There have been two derailments I found. Yeah. Which was interesting. One from an earthquake and one during a blizzard. I'm thinking they must have been going pretty slow and careful both times because nobody got hurt. So there's no way they were going like 200 miles an hour. They, you know, they were probably just going really slowly. Are you sure that no one was even, well, I guess no, nobody was injured because that stat says that nobody was injured. Because you told me earlier that no one was right, ever right. injured. 
I wasn't sure because I saw there were no casualties in those incidents, but according to that stat. Casualty doesn't necessarily mean death. It means injury as well. I thought casualty always referred to a death. No, I'm pretty sure like if you're talking casualties from battle, they didn't necessarily all die. Okay. Well, anyway, um, if you ride the Shinkansen or really any train in Japan, you will see that everything is very in sync, like the boy band, and efficient, like everything. You know, they need to clean the trains periodically. And if you've ever seen that happen, it's crazy how fast they have these crews of cleaners that just run out of the train. They go through, they clean off all the headrests and the tray tables and all that stuff. And they get out and it's just perfectly synchronized. And the trains run on an extremely tight schedule. They are not waiting around for anybody. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned earlier, up to 16 trains per hour are coming through a station. Mm-hmm. There, That's a tight timetable. Yeah, so when you're going to catch a train in Japan, you're going to be told exactly what minute it's going to be leaving the station, mm-hmm. and it will most likely be exactly on time. And again, this is not just Shinkansen. This applies to all trains in Japan. So just to illustrate that point, I thought this was funny. There, are, You can find a bunch of articles from 2018 about this incident where a train left 25 seconds early. Oh, no. It made international news. Oh, no. Because the rail company issued a public apology. I bet the conductor had to write a letter to everybody about how sorry he was. Can you imagine being that guy? Oh, God. Yeah, they the, the company made a public apology saying that the, quote, great inconvenience we placed upon our customers was truly inexcusable. Wow. I love that dedication to customer service. Yeah. That's so cool. Another fun stat for you. In 2016, JR Central reported that the average delay per Shinkansen train was 24 seconds. Yeah. And that average includes delays due to uncontrollable causes like natural disasters, earthquakes, typhoons. Like that's all built into that Average number, right? 24 seconds. So that's basically like if the weather is nice, they're just like on time. Yeah. By to the second. And then once in a while, a train is delayed by like an earthquake or something <laughs> that's got to slow down, you know, yeah. like nothing you can do about that. Mm-hmm. That's so like everything they can control, they do perfectly. Yeah. You know, it's just incredible. That mm-hmm. be moving pieces. That goes back again to having their own tracks too. You never have to wait for like an accident on uh, where two cars were crossing the track and like they got into an accident or there's a stalled vehicle. They have their own tracks. They don't get delays like that. So if they do everything right, like cleaning the train, leaving on time, all that stuff, they hit their marks Mm -hmm. and they nail it. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. Especially, you know, I went to college in Boston and they have a train system in Boston. (laughs) I actually like the Boston train system. But I do too. I do too. But can't compare. Uh, it's different levels. Not even close. You know, we're talking minor leagues to major leagues here. Exactly. I mean, they don't even tell you when the train is going to show up. It just shows up when it shows up. <laughs> hey, we made it. <laughs> I mean, if you think too about the Shinkansen's biggest rival is probably air travel. You know, if you're trying to like get that far that quick, mm-hmm. how often are planes on time? Like 50% of the time, maybe. Like, planes are notorious for not being on time. Yeah. But the Shinkansen, you could be like, I'm going to meet you at this time. And you just know you're going to be there. Totally. So, you know, we've mentioned, what, a couple times at this point, that stat about how the trains have been running for over 50 years. They've carried over... 10 billion passengers. There's never been a single passenger fatality due to train accidents like derailments or collisions. Now, I kept seeing that repeated in different places in my research, and it seemed like a lot of times it was worded very carefully. You know what I mean? Yeah. They always make sure to say, due to train accidents, like derailments or collisions. So it got me thinking, like, well, somebody must have died. I mean, you're talking billions of passengers. Someone's had a heart attack. Like, you know, people, people die. Yeah. I mean, people die randomly. That has nothing to do with the train, but 
I did hear about one incident where someone got like stuck in the door or something. Okay, that's what I was going to talk about. Okay. It's called, it's referred to as the Mishima Station Incident. Oh, okay. And I have all the details that's if a, that's not too morbid. Please hit me because I did not get all the details. Because okay. I, you know, I have a personal interest in morbid kind of stuff like this. I wasn't sure if it was too, too much. No, we need to hear this. Okay. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So in 1995, there was a 17 year old male student. He got off the train just for a second to like make a phone call when it stopped at a station. He's being polite. Okay. Good for him. I mean, it was 1995. He must have been using a. Oh, a you're right. I'm sitting here thinking cell phone. What a <laughs> dummy. I assume he was using a payphone. Anyway, he you know, was running to get back on the train as the doors were closing, and his finger got stuck in the door. Only his finger. He wasn't, that was the only body part he was able to get into the door. Okay. And so his, his finger got caught in the door so tightly that he was actually dragged with the train when it left the station. He was dragged for around 100 yards, and then he fell to his death. That's crazy. Isn't it? How does it pinch that tight on a finger? Like, you think his finger would rip off at that point? Like, I know. Fingers are apparently very strongly attached to the body. But his were, at least. Yeah. Poor kid. So this can't happen anymore. This isn't something you need to be worried about. The reason he was able to be dragged like that from a single finger was that at the time... The trains were made, you remember we talked about how the trains are, they have an airtight seal, right? Yeah. The trains were made to create that airtight seal as soon as the doors closed. And they were unable to detect something like a foreign object in between the doors as small as a human finger. Oh, okay. That was the flaw. But since this incident, the designs have been changed so that airtight seal doesn't happen until the train reaches a certain speed. And if you've been on a train in Japan recently, you know that there are attendants all over the place watching the doors, making sure that they close mm-hmm. cleanly and yep. that you know nothing like that could ever happen. So first time I was in Japan with my brother, we're like trying to figure out where the heck we're going, what train we need. And there's like a train next to us. And my brother's just like, I think it's this one. And he hops on. <laughs> oh, no. And I try to follow him. And like the train is like leaving. No. So I just like ram myself through the doors as they're closing. My backpack gets caught in the door. But I'm inside the train. But my backpack is like caught in the door. Uh-huh. The train started moving, I think. And like my baby, this is my memory embellishing it because I was so scared. But. <laughs> I finally, I like, I pushed with everything I had and like my bag ripped out and the door closed and I was like, oh my God, we're, we're, we're the dumb foreigners. Everyone's looking <laughs> at me. <laughs> That's a harrowing tale, but Paul. I did not die. So yeah, I bet that kind of thing. Counting it as a lot, win. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Narrowly missing a train or like, you know, when it gets down to the, those final seconds, those but, are some tense yeah. seconds. I mean, I looked at them though and I was like, bro. Come on, the next train's going to come in like a few minutes. Yeah. We didn't we have to like hop on this one and get separated or almost die, but yeah. it all worked out. That's good. You know, my closest train incident was uh, on that trip to Hokkaido, actually. You know how I'm an obsessive planner, right? So I had like all the trains, you know, that we had to be taking and all this stuff. And we got to this one station where we had to switch to a different train and my fiance had to go to the bathroom. So she's in the bathroom and I'm like looking at my phone, you know, making sure, just double checking that we're getting on the right train or whatever. And then I realize, oh crap, we have like two minutes to get on this train and it's the last train of the night. Like there's no other train running until like 6 a.m. or something. Oh no. So as soon as she gets out of the bathroom, I'm like, we need to go. And we just like sprinted to the platform and we got we got there on time but that was the most stressed i yeah that's scary when you you like realize that yeah it's like last train at night you know last train's at one o'clock and it's like 12 58 and you're running to the station you're Mm -hmm. like oh my god i need to make this yeah and once in a while you will see people like sprinting through a train station oh yeah for that reason i remember we sprinted in boston at least once 
think we were yeah. at a party once and we realized oh, it was yeah. like 1245 and we were like, gotta run to the train. I remember that. We made that was, it. That was a great train ride though. It you was know, good. That, you feel it that so relief fun. washing over you and you just get to look out the window and be like, yeah, yeah. we made it. That was Everything's good. okay. That was a good night. That was a good party. Good night. Yeah. Anyway, um, do you want to hear about other incidents that resulted in deaths that were not caused by derailments or collisions? How many do you have? Um, And yes. (laughs) Just a couple. So, uh, of course, there have been several suicides, unfortunately, in Japan. People uh, jump in front of or from trains. In 2015, there was a passenger that actually lit himself on fire on a train. Did you hear about that? I heard about that. And he hurt a bunch of other people, which is so stupid. He injured seven others. It's really horrifying. Horrifying, yeah. That's a good word for it. But so, you know, I I wasn't sure if I should mention those, but I did. So I I just want to (laughs) say... I did it. (laughs) (laughs) I did it. But those are like all of the incidents that have happened over the last 50 years. So the Shinkansen is extremely, extremely safe. One of the safest forms of travel in the world yeah i absolutely is absolutely is so i think it's time to talk about like what's your experience going to be like on the shinkansen yeah first thing i want to mention is the jr pass so this is a pass you can buy that gives you unlimited access to japan's bullet trains because of course they're all run by jr that jr group that we've talked about the pass also gives you access to all of the smaller local train lines that are operated by JR, and there are many, many of those. So we always recommend this pass to anyone that's planning on traveling long distances within Japan because it can save you a lot of money, and it's great for making the most of your trip if you're interested in visiting a bunch of different places around Japan. I personally have used the JR pass every single time I've been to Japan. I've used it as well, and I have... Also not used it. Using it was better. Yeah, makes things a bit easier. Uh, Just as a rule of thumb, if you're doing a round trip between Tokyo and Kyoto or an equivalent distance anywhere else. That's pretty much like the cost of the pass. Like if you do one round trip on the Shinkansen of that distance, the pass is like almost paying for itself already, right? Exactly. And then you get all a bunch of local trains, you get a bunch of other trains. It really comes in handy. Mm-hmm. It's convenient and it saves you money. Exactly. So if you want to get a JR Pass, we have an affiliate link on our website, sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. At the top of the website there, there's a travel tools link. You click on that and then you will see a picture that says JR Pass. Click on that. It'll bring you to the website where you can get a pass and help out the podcast at the same time. Another cool thing about that website is they have the pocket Wi-Fis on there. Yeah. That's the best thing ever. Like when we got that on our last one, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the coolest thing. Yeah, I consider pocket Wi-Fi essential. Because, you know, you're probably not getting cell phone service in Japan, depending on your plan, right? Yeah, and then you got Google Maps, you got Google Translate. Like, it just makes the whole trip so much easier. Yep. Anyway, so let's say you're at the train station. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to get a ticket, right? Yes, yes. And if you're buying with a credit card, there are automated machines that can help you with that. There's an English menu option. They make it real easy. Otherwise, if you have the JR Pass, the JR Pass that you're going to be carrying around with you is kind of a little cardboard. It's like a little booklet. Yeah, yeah, it's a little little thing <laughs> and uh there you can't use the automated system with that so you're gonna have to bring that to the ticket counter and talk to a real person yes. which is not a big deal there you know there usually aren't really long lines lines go pretty fast they always speak english or at least enough to help you get your ticket you just have to tell them where you're going and when and they will tell you what your options are sometimes it can help maybe to write down the dates and times or whatever to make it a little easier to communicate you could do that And by the way, if you want to get a ticket in advance, even weeks or I believe months in advance, you can actually do that online or at the station. I believe up to one month in advance for reserved seats. Okay. So usually there's not a reason to do that. But if you're planning on taking a train that you know is going to be really busy, like maybe it's Golden Week or something like that, it might make sense to reserve your 
your seat in advance. Yeah, or New Year's. But usually you can book your seat right when you're planning on going somewhere and you should be able to get a train pretty soon. If you do want to plan ahead and you want to know when the trains are going to be running beforehand, I highly recommend hyperdia.com. H-Y-P-E-R-D-I-A.com. This website is incredible. It has all the train schedules for the entire country, not even just the Shinkansen. You just put in the station that you're starting at, the station you want to go to, and it tells you all your options, how long they're going to take, how much they cost, and the website is all all free and everything. It takes something that could be really complicated and stressful and just makes it super easy. Yeah, it's awesome. So when you're picking out your ticket, you can choose between reserved or non-reserved seats. Mm-hmm. And the way this works is that they're actually separate train cars. Some are reserved and some are non-reserved. So non-reserved seats are going to be a little bit cheaper. And if you get that ticket, you can get on to any of those non-reserved cars and choose whatever seat you want. Yep. The only issue with that is that if it's like a really busy train, you might have to stand. And that is not fun if you're, you know going somewhere that's hours away. You don't yeah, want to be standing yeah. there for hours. You could get lucky and after a stop or two, some people could get off and you might be able to swipe a seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But man, there was one time, it wasn't on a Shinkansen, it was like an express train somewhere else, but I got stuck standing for a long time and it was very <laughs> yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. There's also, do you want an ordinary car or do you want a green car? Green car, please. <laughs> I've actually never taken a green car, but man, one of these days I got to do that. So green car is kind of like business class on an airplane. I've seen that analogy, like yeah. a little bit more space. The ordinary cars, I think, are usually three seats on one side, two seats on the other side. So like five total seats, but the green cars are two and two. So it's like that little extra bit of space. Yeah, you'll get a little more space. They're often quieter because, you know, less people want to pay extra to get on that car. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just little extra comfort features like electric reclining seats, reading lights, just those little things. Little touches. Yeah. Did you see there's a grand class now? No. On a few select trains. Grand class? Grand. Grand without the D? Yeah. And it's just like, it's like first class. It's only three seats per row, two and one. Wow. And even more space and more additional amenities. They serve you champagne? Yeah, probably. I don't know. If you're really trying to ball out. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're into that green class idea, you can actually get a green class JR pass too, so that you can have all of your unlimited trips on green cars nice i didn't know that yeah a little more expensive of course but do you know if you have the jr normal pass can you like pay a premium to upgrade to green yes but it's probably not worth it because basically the way that these ticket prices work is there's a base fare for like the trip itself Mm -hmm. and then there's a seat fare Mm -hmm. and the seat fare for the green cars is so expensive that it really doesn't make sense. Okay, it goes from free to like a lot of money real quick. exactly. Another thing to think about when you're getting your ticket is if you want a window seat, which Ah, I recommend if you can get it. Yeah, it's nice. Like no matter where you're going, there's going to be fun stuff to look at out the window. And, you know, depending on the route that you're taking, maybe you're passing by Mount Fuji or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we traveled together last time, so I had no problem just like leaning all over you, like, I'm really going to look out the window when I want to. Yeah. Pardon me, Jason. Pardon me. <laughs> no worries, Paul. The windows are big, though, too. You can see pretty well. Yeah. But if you're on the wrong side of the train. Yeah, yeah. You want to see Fuji on the other side. Yeah. Um, I don't think we mentioned either, like, almost all the signs are bilingual. So even for like reserved cars, it'll say reserved or non-reserved in English and Japanese. And maybe Chinese or something, too. So it's pretty user-friendly, even for non-Japanese speakers. Yeah, there, there is ample signage. You just want to be observant. You know, it can be, um, I don't know, confusing. There's a lot of information in a lot of different places. It's all in English. You just got to look around for 
the info you're looking for. Yeah. Okay, so let's say you get your ticket, right? Did we cover everything you need to think about when you're getting a ticket? I think so. Okay. What are you going to do once you have your ticket? Yeah, get in the train station. Okay. Sometimes you get directly into the Shinkansen area of the train station. Sometimes you have to get into the normal train station and then get into the Shinkansen area. So you might have to go through two gates, but you actually get two tickets with your Shinkansen tickets. You get your base fare ticket, which you were talking about, Jason, and then you get another ticket on top of that. Mm -hmm. And if you have the JR pass, you don't really need to worry about which ticket you're going to use to get through that first gate because with the JR pass, there's always you always want to go through the uh, the side entrance next to the little window where there's actually a real person there, and you just flash your JR pass, and they'll wave you through. Yeah, yeah, I've, uh, they're very friendly and easygoing. I have noticed, like, don't go too fast. Like, slow down a little bit and like give them a second to look. Yeah, just let them and let then them acknowledge you. They'll nod at you, and you move right along. Yeah. Okay, so you're in the Shinkansen area now, right? Yeah. And you're going to see a big lit up board listing all of the trains that are going to be leaving soon. Yeah, kind of like an airport. Yeah. So you're going to want to look at your ticket, and there's going to be a lot of info on that ticket. It's going to tell you what city you're leaving from, the city you're going to. It's going to tell you the date, the time, the price. What you want to look for is the train name and the train number, and then you're going to compare those to that board, find your train, and it will tell you what track you want to go to. Once you have that info, it's very simple to find your track. There are going to be giant signs with numbers on them. You just find your number, you go to your track. Yep. Once you get to your track, you can confirm that you're at the right place because there are going to be these displays hanging over the platform that shows you the next few trains that are going to be leaving. Yep. So you can make sure you see up your train up there and you're like, okay, I'm in the right place. Everything's good. Now, take another look at your ticket, and it's also going to tell you the car number and your seat number, assuming you reserved a specific seat. And you can use that info to find exactly where you need to stand so that you can jump onto the right car when the train stops. And uh, there might be a line. There might not be a line. If there is a line, obviously get in that line. Yeah, that's a great idea. You don't want to, like, get onto car three and then you're on the train and realize you're supposed to be in car 10 and you got to walk the whole length of the train almost (laughs) to get to where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And there's going to be signage on the floor showing you where each car is going to stop. Yep. But you got to be a little careful here because not all of these trains are the same size. So depending on how many cars there are in the train, that's going to change which set of numbers you're looking at on the ground. Is that, you know what I'm talking about, Paul? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's a little confusing, but yeah, I once confuse. you're there, you'll kind of understand if you know that's a thing. Yeah, it confused me the first time I saw it, but then I was like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Like some trains are 16 cars long, some trains are eight cars long Yeah, or whatever. So One thing I didn't notice while I was in Japan, but I saw doing my research is that some of the busier stations... They'll have a line painted for you to like line up on to get into the car. They'll have a second line painted for people to line up for the next car that's coming. Oh. So you're like two trains out, but they're coming every three, four minutes. Mm-hmm. You can already like line up and then like move up once the train in front of you is gone. Yeah. I mean, everything's super organized and efficient, you know? Yep. You just got to pay attention and uh, make sure you're where you're supposed to be. Now, once you've figured out where you're supposed to be and all that good stuff. I would say if you're, you know, a little early, you got a little time to wait for your train. I think this would be a good time to look around the station a little bit. I recommend hitting up a vending machine, maybe grab something nice to drink on your trip or something I personally do every single time I'm taking the Shinkansen is find an Eki Ben. What's that? Well, Eki means station and Ben is short for Bento which is a box to lunch. So this is basically a box to lunch that you can get from the station. You can bring it on the train with you. Got a nice little meal for your trip. It's great. Like bentos are awesome. They usually have a bunch of different delicious options. And a lot of the time they have bentos specifically with 
local specialties from you know the area where the station you're at is at. So you can try some local food, and you know no matter what train station you go to, they're all going to have different types of bentos. So that's always fun, I think. Yeah, that's a great idea. All right, so let's say you got your bento, you're back at the platform, your train rolls up. Take a look at that train. They're attractive trains. They're very aerodynamic. Yes, they are. And uh, see if you can spot that pantograph, that thing that connects it to the overhead wire. So once the train stops, you're going to let people get off first, of course. Nobody likes that guy that's trying to shove his way onto the train before people have had a chance to get off, you know? So rude. Super rude. And then you can make your way to your seat. Yeah. So you might have some luggage with you. According to the official rules, each traveler is allowed to bring two pieces of luggage onto the train, not including small bags. You can have a small bag as well, kind of like airplanes. Each piece cannot weigh more than 30 kilograms. And there's a somewhat straightforward but complicated measuring system where if you add up the width, height, and depth of your suitcase, it cannot exceed 250 centimeters when adding all those values. Okay. That makes sense. I've literally never seen anyone like, you know, measuring luggage or weighing luggage to make sure you're allowed to bring it on the train right. or anything. Like there's, there's plenty of space for luggage. There's huge overhead racks above the seats. Mm-hmm. And the seats are so spacious. If you had to, you could probably fit a suitcase like in front of your legs. I've and totally like done that. Still be okay on on it. Yeah, it's crazy how comfy and spacious these trains are, even without that green car upgrade. Yeah, so you're gonna have foot space on the newer trains. You might have a power outlet. You can recline your seat. The seats spin 180 degrees. So if you're traveling in like a group of four or six, you could turn one set of two or three seats around. And then you're all facing each other and you can talk and hang out. Yeah. That's so really cool. cool. It is cool. Uh, the cars are all air conditioned. You know, Japan has really hot summers, but you don't have to worry about that if you're on the Shinkansen. Yeah. And both of us are over six feet tall. Mm-hmm. And like, we have zero problems with space. Paul, I got to be honest. I'm, I'm five foot 11 and a half. No way. Yeah. Technically. Are you shrinking, bro? No, I, I just never broke that six feet quite. I mean, I still tell people if they ask how tall I am, it's six, it's six feet. But technically, at the doctor, it's five foot uh, 11 and a half. I, just, I don't feel like I'm over two inches taller than you. Maybe it's your poofy hair. Maybe. He levels us out a little bit. Yeah, that's, my, that's my darkest secret. Moment. Well, even, even at five eleven and a half, you're still taller than the average person. Especially the average Japanese person. Yeah, and you're comfortable in the Shinkansen, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I could be five inches taller and be fine. Yeah. Yeah. These are great trains. Very comfy. Depending on the length of your trip, there may also be people coming down the aisle with a cart selling food and drinks. Yep. It's also nice if you, uh, if you messed up and didn't get a chance to grab an Ben. Yep. It's your, it's your second chance to get a nice lunch. Well, I got to say, those Ben are better than what you're going to be able to get on the Shinkansen, in my opinion. Yeah, probably. Much better selection for sure. Yeah. If you need to use the restroom on the train, there are bathrooms at the end of the cars. There are going to be signs indicating where the closest one is. I think I remember each seat also having like a little pamphlet with a map of the train showing you where those bathrooms are. Yeah, I think so too. And one nice thing about the bathrooms is like there's a toilet and then like the sink is outside. Mm-hmm. So you can even just go up there and like wash your hands. You don't even yeah. need to like get into the toilet or splash some water on your face, whatever. Yeah, if you got your hands dirty shoveling the Eki Ben into your face, <laughs> yep. go yep. wash your hands. Uh, free Wi-Fi is available on a lot of the trains these days. Not nice. necessarily all of them, but that's nice. Yeah. Once you're moving... A lot of the announcements for like the upcoming stations are multilingual. They'll be in Japanese and English, at least, if not Korean and Chinese as well. Mm-hmm. Plus, there'll be a little scroll bar near the front of the car that'll tell you what stations are coming up next. So it's really easy to not be surprised when your station arrives. Mm-hmm. And when your destination is, is coming up, it's a good idea to get up and try to make your way to the door so that you can get off as soon as it stops. Because depending on where you're stopping, the train might not be there for very long. 
Yeah, and the doors are only like at the ends of the cars, so like yep. it, it can take a second to get there, especially if you've got a bunch of luggage. Mm-hmm. And then you get to your destination, you get off, and you pat yourself on the back for yeah. a successful yeah. Shinkansen ride. You'll be like, wow, that was cool. Mm-hmm. I have a couple Shinkansen manners tips. Okay. We talked about this already, but you want to line up neatly before getting on the train and let people exit. You don't want to block the aisle with your luggage. Definitely. Even when you're getting on you and you're like putting your luggage away, you want to try to do it in a way where you're not like impeding other people's access to the train. Yeah, be as efficient as possible. You know, this whole system is set up to be super, super efficient. You don't want to be the one holding things up. Yeah. Uh, be respectful with your volume. If you're ever in a conversation, don't get too, don't get too loud. Um, if you're going to recline your seat, have consideration for the person behind you. I would like to tell that to every single person that's ever sat in front of me on an airplane. <laughs> Sorry, but I feel like every time I get an airplane, it's not even like time to recline yet. And immediately the person in front of me is full back oh, into yeah. my face. Yeah, I'm a big guy. They're like right there. Yeah. That's just how it goes. Oh, man. I know this episode is getting long, but have you seen that little device that people were using to like jam into the seat so that the seat in front of them couldn't recline? Have you heard What? That? No. And why don't yeah. I have one? Don't be that person, Paul. <laughs> yeah. So there was this device. I don't think you can get them anymore, but at some point you could get this thing that you can jam into the seat in front of you and the person in front of you can't recline. So they just like go to recline. They're like, oh, what, what the heck? The seat is broken. <laughs> but it also like would come with this little card that you could give to the person in front of you that says like, hey, I'm really tall and I don't want my legs to get squished. So I'm making it so you can't recline. <laughs> and like there were a lot of confrontations caused by this, as maybe you can imagine. Like, I bet. I would be super pissed if I couldn't recline on an airplane because the person behind me was had sensitive knees or whatever like yeah. dude that's not on you don't get to make that decision yeah but i see it from the tall person perspective too when someone goes a hundred percent back and they're there for the whole friggin flight it's super uncomfortable i'm sorry paul that's what the seats are made to do you can recline the person in front of you can recline that's just that's how it is uh i don't approve paul does not approve just because you can do something doesn't mean you should or doesn't mean that you're not a bit of an a-hole. Dude. How about halfway? How about halfway recline? Airplane I'll, I'll seats take that. are so uncomfortable. Reclining is the only way to make them bearable. How do you think how how comfortable do you think I am when you're fully reclined into my face? Maybe you should have paid for a first class ticket if you need that much room. Oh, okay. Poor shame me. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> We're just joking, guys. Anyways. Yeah. Back to trains. Set your cell phone to silent mode. Don't be that guy. Yep. And take your garbage with you when you leave. Definitely. Like we're talking about, they're tight on schedules. They don't have time to go clean every single seat between every single station. Be respectful. Someone else is going to sit in that seat. That's not just a Shinkansen rule. That's a life rule. True. Don't leave trash behind. Take your garbage and dispose of it yourself, no matter where or what you're doing. Paul, have you ever seen a person just nonchalantly littering? Like they yes. just walk by some grass and they have a cup in their hand and they just throw it? Yeah. Nothing infuriates me more than seeing that. Like I want to run up to that person and be like, what is wrong with you? You realize that you share this planet with other people, right? Yeah. Oh my God. I still remember in high school, I was super into baseball and... Our coaches ran like a tight program. The practices were great. We were a good team. I had like a ton of respect for our head coach. And then when the summer games, we're all like driving ourselves there because it's not a school thing. It's a summer thing. And I was behind my coach and he must have thrown like eight cigarettes out his window on the way to this game. Mm -hmm. I lost a lot of respect for him that day. Yeah. I was like, dude, you ever heard of an ashtray? You're just littering everywhere. People, man. Yeah. Then he started making us pray before games, and I was like, okay. What? Okay. Now I'm checking out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I Everyone take him a knee. Fired for that. Everyone Easily. take a knee. Right? Yeah. Like, that's not, that's illegal. Paul wanted playing time, so I wasn't trying to make <laughs> waves, you know. But. Yeah. Wow. 
Haven't heard that story before. Anyway, got a little off the rails yeah. there. If you we know, probably, we should probably wrap this up. You catch that, Paul? Off the rails? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I bet you've been sitting on that one. <laughs> that was spontaneous, I swear. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> all right. So that's it, right? Yeah, that's all I got. Okay. That's the end of the episode. If you want to see some pictures, check out our Instagram. We are at SJP Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Sightseeing Japan Podcast. What are we talking about next time, Paul? Our next episode is about seaweed. That'll be fun, I think. I want to say nori, but I haven't researched it yet, so I'm ignorant as to if that's a specific type of seaweed or specifically prepared seaweed or that's all seaweed. I guess we're going to find out on the next episode. That's why I think this will be a fun episode. I'm aware of you know nori and wakame seaweed and kombu, which is technically seaweed, I guess. Oh, kelp, there's there's right? already more than I knew existed. Yeah, we're going to learn all about this stuff and how it's used and how they get it. and Very prolific in Japanese cooking, for sure. I think it'll be a good one. Yeah. I love the ones where I come into it not knowing much. Totally. Thanks for listening. See you next time.